Hello, face-to-face -face APGov. Uh, this is the first podcast review uh, for your test. So our Unit 1 test is on Friday, the 3rd of September, 2021. Uh, I'm going to try and go quick because I don't want to take up too much of your time uh, with this review, but there are 28 questions on the review. And, uh, you know, even if I spent a minute per question, um, that would be still almost 30 minutes. So I want to try and go as quick as I can. Uh, but also give you enough details to where uh, you feel good about the test. So that's where we're at, and um, let's get rolling. So the first thing on your study guide, and you can find the study guide on E-Class, um, it's in content and on the, the front page, uh, is Fed 10. All right, and the question says, what was the argument in Fed 10? Uh, you need to remember that Fed 10 was all about the factions, okay? and how factions are just going to be a part of the government. They're going to be part of life uh, in this new society that we're creating. And the only way to control them was to have a large republic. Okay. Um, and so that's the, the biggest and the, the gist of Fed 10 um, is the fact that a republic has the best shot at controlling the factions that are going to be inevitable, inevitable uh, in this society. Okay. Uh, second thing is uh, about number. Uh, <laughs> let me reset for a second. I was trying to do two things at once. Got a text and trying to talk about impeachment. So impeachment. There's there's uh, two steps to the process. First off, the House is the one that draws up the articles of impeachment. All right. So someone in the House, some representative, draws up articles, and the House votes on it. Remember, it is a simple majority over there. So 51.1%, I think it's 218, uh, if my math is correct, which it very rarely is, says yes to the articles, then it goes to the next step, which is to have a trial on the Senate side. On the Senate, you got to have two-thirds of the Senate say yes. So it's like 67. It's a tough number to get to. What can you be impeached for? Well, you can be impeached for treason, bribery, and the big one that is what is usually typically used is high crimes and misdemeanors. And remember, those can be anything. All right. Uh, number three, federalism. Federalism, remember, deals with the fact that multiple governments have authority over citizens. And for us, we have the federal government up in D.C. that makes rules and laws. And we have to listen to. We also have the states that we have to listen to. And we can go further, but we're not. All right, number four, uh, Lopez versus the U.S., U.S. versus Lopez, however you want to say it. Uh, on the test, the question is going to be about a passage from a letter that was written to the Supreme Court when they were considering the Lopez case. Okay, and it goes into detail about the Commerce Clause and uh Congress's powers and things like that. So you do need to understand the Lopez case. All right. And we're going to talk about it in a second, but I want you to understand the question. The question is going to be a passage from this letter. And then you have to pull from that passage some information um, and decide, you know, what's going to be best, especially for number four uh, on the test, which is where this question comes from. Um, you'll need to be able to do that. All right. So the Lopez case, remember, this is the case where Lopez was a student 17, 18 years old, senior in high school, brought a gun to school at his San Antonio, Texas high school. He was caught. He was charged by Texas 
so by the state, uh, for violating the gun-free school zone law. For some reason, the federal government wanted to come in and drop charges as well. I don't, and I'm, I'm not, I have not researched it, but why they wanted to get involved in this case, I don't know. Alrighty, so that would be worth looking into. Something I need to do, but uh, they want to charge. So this is why it's the U.S. versus Lopez, because Lopez is going to say, "Hey, federal government, you you have no right to be here. You you have no say so. You have no authority. Uh, the commerce clause is you know you're overstepping your bounds here uh, with this commerce clause uh, stuff." And eventually, the Supreme Court is going to agree, and you know the judicial branch, as part of the checks and balances, can basically call Congress out and say, hey, you're stepping over your boundaries here. There's no reason, there's no way you can validate using the Commerce Clause within the school setting. And so uh, he, he was not, the federal government can't charge you or couldn't charge him for the, the gun-free school zone stuff uh, that he um, was being accused of. Okay. Uh, number five, how do states fill out federal funding and federal oversight? Remember, this is a cartoon. Uh, there was a PowerPoint that I told you was going to be uh, on there. And remember, it's just pretty simple. Uh, states want the federal money, but they don't want the federal authority, the federal oversight that comes with that money. All right. So, you know, the state of Georgia, we want to get money from the, the federal government, but we also don't want to have to deal with their rules and regulations and them looking over our shoulder uh, for everything. Uh, okay. For question number six on your study guide, it says uh, something about Fed 84. Fed 84 <clears throat> is not really a part of our standards, okay? Um, and this is something that you'll have to be able to do uh, when we take the actual test, uh, is they'll put information on there and they'll put passages and things like that from stuff that's not in our standards that we don't really go over and talk about uh, on the test. So really for Fed 84, don't research it. And there's going to be a passage and uh, you just have to read the passage and then uh, be able to, to pull out the, the correct answer. Um, and one of them is really pulling from it. The other one is just kind of a something you got to know. Okay. Uh, seven, the Declaration of Independence, its origins and ideas behind the document. So when we say that, we're talking specifically about who did Thomas Jefferson pull information from to write the Declaration of Independence. And the big one is John Locke and the consent of the governed and natural rights and all those sorts of things that, that gets pulled uh, into the Declaration of Independence. So uh, as long as you understand, hey, you know, Thomas Jefferson takes the natural rights and adapts them from John Locke and his belief that the government is responsible for protecting our natural rights, uh, I think you'll be in pretty good shape there. Um, as far as its origins, you know, it was written prior to us, uh, America, you know, uh, really truly getting into the revolution. Uh, but this is what officially declared our independence uh, and made us uh, uh, an independent state apart from Britain, England, whatever. Uh, the quotes from Article 1, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution, uh, once again, some stimulus stuff here. You just got to read the article and then pull information from it. I think uh, it's going to be pretty obvious. Uh, the, I think there's some low, even though you're having to read the article, I think there are low-level questions as far as pulling information from them. Uh, but Article 1, Section 8 just is about the Congress's power uh, to collect taxes, uh, debts, and all that kind of stuff. All right. Uh, the amendment process. So this is what your FRQ was on. And a couple of things about the amendment process. Uh, first off, the two steps to getting uh, an amendment actually proposed. 
remember, there is no president, there is no judicial branch when it comes to creating an amendment. It is purely legislative. All right. Yes, the president can suggest, hey, we should have this as an amendment, but unless Congress agrees with the president, there's nothing the president can do to really get it on the books. So a, a, an amendment has to be proposed at the congressional level or if a national convention was called. We've never done that because why should we when we have congressmen already in place? So we stand up, we propose our amendment. Two-thirds of both houses have to agree to it. If two-thirds of both houses agree to the amendment, they say, yeah, that's a good idea, let's do it. Then it goes to the next step. If less than two-thirds say yes, then it dies. And we'll have to start again next year. Okay. Um, once it has been approved by Congress, it then goes to the state level. And this is you know, federalism because you got the, con the National Congress and the state Congress is working together to an extent here. So it goes to the states after it has been proposed and approved at the national congressional level. And then it goes to the state legislatures. And three-fourths of the state legislatures have to say yes to it. If they say yes, if three-fourths, 38 states say yes to an amendment, then it becomes the next amendment. We've only had 27 of these things. It's not an easy process to get, okay? Um, Two-thirds of Congress is difficult. Three-fourths of the states is difficult. Think of all the, the just the wild, widely, wildly varying uh, groups within the states, the states, how different they are, and just all the things that have to go into getting 38 states to say yes, getting two-thirds of 535 to say yes. It's a difficult process, all right? It's a difficult process. It was done that way, so we can make sure that amendments were necessary. We can make sure that everyone's rights were being upheld. Um, we didn't just want anything added to the the Constitution. All right, 10, 11, and 12 on your study guide are going to be similar in that they are going to be questions where you have a chart, but the questions are going to be within the chart. So, you know, the first one is block grants versus categorical grants. So you'll have two columns. You'll have block grants on one side, and you'll have categorical grants on the other. Um, you have to find the row that has the correct statements about both block grants and categorical grants. Same thing for the weaknesses, same thing for the Federalists versus Anti-Federalists. You want two rows, I mean two block, two two columns, and you pick out the row that has the correct answer. So block grants versus categorical grants, pretty quick and easy. Uh, block grants, these are the, the ones that states like. This is, I don't want to say free money, but it's the money that comes without the rules, without the regulations uh, that states, you know, they can kind of mess around with and, and spend, I don't say how they want to, but uh, they have a lot more freedom than the categorical grants. The categorical grants are the ones that come with some kind of uh, oversight, you know, uh, we talked about the, the drinking age uh, in class. We watched the video clip on the blood alcohol level. These are things the national government wanted. And so this road construction money got tied to those things because, hey, if you don't do this, we're going to take your money away. So categorical grant, you know, it's money that has some kind of uh, stipulation attached to it. States don't like this because they feel like they lose their power. Uh, weaknesses of the articles and the constitutional responses. So you're going to have weaknesses on one side how they were addressed in the Constitution on the other side, okay? Um, and, you know, some of the items that we, we did in class, you know, you did the tombstone and the eulogy for the wheat, for the, the, the what you call it, um, 
for the weaknesses of the Arctic Federation. So hopefully you realize those and know those. Um, and then the responses in the Constitution will come from uh, stuff we did when we went through the articles, when we went through the clauses, uh, and you're going through your MOCA. All right. Some of the big ones, uh, you know, the big one to me is always the commerce. You know, the Articles of Confederation gave no control to commerce whatsoever for the, the states. The states could tax each other as goods came into their their uh, their states. Uh, they could make treaties and, and agreements with other countries, just all kinds. Of, it was just a big mess. And so to respond to that, remember, the Commerce Clause was created in the Constitution, which gave Congress the only <coughs> the only ability to, uh, to control commerce. Another big one was the, you know, there's no executive under the Articles. So Article 2 creates an executive branch of the, of the, the government. Another one is the military. Remember, Congress under the Articles could only ask states to send military personnel, military supplies, and things like that. Um, and really, they, they had nothing to do with it. So the Constitution says, well, you know, Congress is the only one that does that kind of stuff. You know, they're the only ones that can declare war. They control the military. It is a federal thing. And then the Federalists versus the Anti-Federalists. Um, <clears throat> the big one here is the Federalists wanted the large republic. They wanted the large government, strong central government, strong federal government. Uh, they believed in the Constitution. Um, the anti-federalists, they wanted it to be the opposite. They wanted the states to continue to have power and to have a small republic slash uh, federal government. All right. Number 14, explain separation of powers and checks and balances. So the big thing here is don't get them confused. Okay. Just don't get them confused. Uh, separation of powers. This comes from Montesquieu. And remember, he wrote during a time when there was kings that could make law enforce law and judge law and he wrote about how that's not right how you should have people in multiple positions apart from each other and that's where the separation of powers comes from and that's why we have the branches of government because the people that wrote the constitution they read these philosophers and that's the montesquieu and the separation of powers something stuck out to them we need to have multiple branches of government we don't need to have one branch or one person control all these different parts of our government. So that's why we have the legislative branch that writes it, the executive branch that enforces, and the judicial branch that uh, is going to judge the laws. Uh, number, oh, and the checks and balances. So I said don't get them confused. All right, so the separation of powers is just separating them out. But we do have to watch over each other. All right, so they're, they're, they have to be able to uh, watch over and make sure that, you know, uh, they're doing what they're supposed to. And that's what checks and balances are. And, you know, some examples, um, we went through a whole PowerPoint on this. Remember, you know, the president can veto uh, legislation that Congress passes. The judicial branch with Marbury versus Madison, they can um, do judicial review when they declare a law as unconstitutional. Uh, so things like that. All right. Um, concurrent powers, pretty simple, uh, easy concept. That's shared powers between the federal and the state. And my least favorite favorite example is taxes both the state and the federal government can tax us uh, as they see fit okay uh number 16 what does the 10th amendment do the 10th amendment remember this is the one that states and gives states rights okay so states have the ability to do things <laughs> not specifically listed in the constitution the the what it says is that as long as it's not 
specifically denied in the Constitution, then states are allowed to do it and, and make decisions about it. So it gives the states a lot of freedom. You need to understand that it does take power away from the federal government because you know if the Constitution does not specifically deny it, then states are typically left to it. And you know, I use the example of the state flags. There's no guidelines for the state flag, so you can have whatever as a state flag. And that's why you know Georgia uh, had to change their flag a couple of years ago. That's why Mississippi just recently had to change their flag because there was no guidelines, and it was left to the states to do uh, what they really wanted uh, with that stuff. Okay, uh, and you know, right now you know, we see states varying uh, pretty widely with COVID responses. Some states are doing this, some states are doing that because the powers are left to the, the states. Uh, 17 is kind of a repeat what is federalism. Um, that is just where you have the sharing of powers. We already did that one. Uh, 18, how could Congress make changes to the driving age? Now, we, we, we talked about um, this is similar to the, the drinking age. Uh, you know, Congress does not have the authority to make it a federal drinking age. So they encourage the states. Same thing with driving age. If they want to make it 18, you know, what can they do? Well, they could stay, hey, states, you're going to do this or you're going to lose some of your money. Okay. 19, Wisconsin versus Yoder. So uh, this case dealt with uh, free exercise and the fact that there was a state law in Wisconsin that said you had to be in school for a certain amount of time. And the Amish wanted to pull their kids out before that. And so uh, the Supreme Court is going to agree with them, right, that sometimes people that are worshiping a certain way are going to be get out of or be exempted from uh, certain laws. In this case, it was the, the compulsory law for, for education. Number 20, the philosophers. Uh, I think the, the big one uh, or the big two are Locke and Montesquieu. Locke is the natural rights guy. And um, what's his name? Montesquieu is the uh, separation of powers guy. Okay. Three-fifths compromise. So there was three compromises you had to know. You had to know the Great Compromise, you had to know the Three-Fifths Compromise, and you had to know the Commerce Compromise. So all these things took place at the, uh, the Constitution. The Three-Fifths Compromise specifically, this deal, deals with uh, representation and taxes. Uh, population for a state, after the Great Compromise had you know, settled the debate of how we're going to be represented, and remember that set two houses, one on population, one on equality, uh, <clears throat> they had to decide uh, quite the question of, of how how are they going to count people, okay? And the South wanted the slave population to count for representation purposes, but they did not want them to count for tax purposes. The North was the opposite. They wanted the slaves to count for uh, tax purposes because, you know, the more people you had, the more tax you had to pay, and not count for representation purposes. So that was the problem. Uh, they solved it with this compromise where they're going to count three-fifths. Uh, of the slave population, basically, um, for both taxes and representation. And then the Commerce Compromise, remember, that dealt with the slave trade. Uh, South didn't want the federal government to be able to control the slave trade. Um, eventually, they, they compromised and said, well, we won't touch it for 20 years. And so I think it was 1808 is when the federal government was finally allowed to um, come in and start regulating the slave trade. Uh, 22, explain pluralist, elite in class, and hyperpluralist theory. Okay, uh, pluralist theory is pretty simple. Well, I'll say that, but uh, I, I think it's 
I think it, it and Elite are pretty easy. Uh, this is just all the different groups that are in competition for the government's attention, for the government to do things. They're all trying to get at the government to create laws, to create policies and things like that that benefit their groups. Okay. And in pluralist theory, they all keep each other in check. And so that's the big part there is that they do keep each other in check. So yes, you have groups and, and think about all the groups we have today that are competing for the government's attention to get laws made, to get policies passed and things like that. But they all kind of counteract each other. The elite and class theory, this uh, basically says that there is a group of wealthy people out there, a group of highly educated people out there that control things. And, you know, we don't have as much say so as we would like to think we do because of the, the elite class theory. So that's uh, pretty simple. You know, we're divided down party, I mean, not party lines, but, but class lines and things like that. Uh, Hyperpluralism, I don't think it was a test. I think I need to take it off uh, of the study guide, but I didn't. So let me tell you about it real quick. Uh, that is pluralist theory on steroids, basically. Uh, remember, pluralism, we just said is all the groups. Well, hyperpluralism is where the government is trying to make all the different groups happy and make laws that make this group happy, make this group happy. And you can't do that. You make a law over here that makes uh, the environmental groups happy. You've upset the groups of businesses because it makes them tougher to get rid of their waste and things like that. You make a, a law over here that is pro-gun, you just upset the anti-gun group. And then you have to make a law that helps the anti-gun group and then you upset the pro-gun group. So it's just back and forth. You can't do it. Uh, explain confederation and unitary. So unitary government is what we came from with the British. The British uh, had the central government over in England and they would send directives and, and mandates and all that kind of stuff to the colonies and the colonies were just expected to follow. We had no say so as a colony under the British. And so we're going to flip that on its head and we're going to create a confederation. Confederation is where now the colonies, now the states, have the power, they have all the authority and they direct to the central government. So if you can think about, you know, uh, a diagram of some sort in your little mind's eye there, uh, a circle, that's the central government, and then arrows going down to all the all 13 of the colonies. They're sending the directives. We then switched it to where the arrows go from the states to the central governments. The states directed to the, uh, the government what they're going to do. Uh, explain the difference between dual and cooperative federalism. Dual federalism is what we had early on. We still have it in some places. You know, that's where they stay in their sphere. It might be the layer cake um, <clears throat> uh, analogy. So remember, the military is a federal thing. Education is a state thing. Versus cooperative federalism, what happened, in my opinion, really after the New Deal, when we really needed uh, everybody, everybody on board, basically, uh, to get things done. And they uh, are going to mix. And that's the marble cake, where you can't really tell who's responsible for what and who's doing what because they all are kind of working together to get things done. Um, the environment is a good example of this. In the environmental laws, you've got the federal EPA, but there's also state EPAs, and they work together to get things done and to make sure the environment's being protected. Uh, so the amendment process got on here twice, it looks like. So we've already done the formal amendment process. I'm not going to go back over that. Uh, 26, the Bill of Rights. A lot of stuff going on there <laughs> with the Bill of Rights. Uh, just big overarching. Uh, we said the free exercise clause for Wisconsin versus Yoder. I don't think I asked you any of the other um, clauses. Um, maybe the establishment clause, uh, you need to know that, dealing with the fact that the, the federal government will not create a, a state-sponsored religion. Okay. Um, 
So the First Amendment deals with speech, press, religion, assembly, and petition. There's no press question. There's no speech question. It's just really the religion. So know those two clauses, the free exercise clause, which is Wisconsin versus Yoder question, and then the uh, establishment clause, which is the one that says the government will not create a state sponsored religion. Second Amendment deals with the right to bear arms. The Third Amendment, I'll never ask you a question on, but it's the quartering of troops. Fourth Amendment, search and seizure. No unlawful search and seizure. Fifth Amendment deals with uh, your rights. Um, you know, once you're being arrested, your right to remain silent, not incriminate yourself. Sixth Amendment is your right to a fair, speedy trial. So you're going to see a judge within 48 hours. You're going to get a lawyer, a jury, and all the public trial, things like that. Uh, the Seventh Amendment is your right to a jury trial in a civil case. The Eighth Amendment is cruel and unusual punishment. Ninth deals with citizens' rights, and tenth deals with states' rights. Okay, so that's the Bill of Rights in about 45 seconds. Um, remember the the fourth through eighth; those all are the rights to the accused. So. From the time you're a suspect to the time you're in prison, you do have rights. All right, the clauses of the Constitution. Try and go through these quickly as well, because I am running short on time here. Necessary and proper clause. Remember, this is the one that allows Congress to stretch their powers. As long as it says it in the Constitution, uh, it can be interpreted and allow the states, I mean, uh, the Congress to kind of stretch their powers. You might see it as the elastic clause. Then you've got the... Um, um, Drawing a blank for just a second here. The on the paper it says the establishment clause for exercise clause, but we already talked about those two. Uh, the supremacy clause, which says that the federal government is supreme, the federal government is number one. Um, the constitution is actually number one, but then federal laws and things like that, all right, um, are the most important things. Uh, then you had full faith and credit, which says the states are going to honor. State to state stuff, you know, when I told you my example of me being married in, in Florida and not having to get remarried here in, in Georgia and then get divorced here in Georgia, not having to get divorced down in Florida. The privileges and immunities, this is where the states are going to honor and treat citizens the same from state to state. There's not going to be any special rules out there uh, for you. The reserve powers, those are in the 10th Amendment. That's what gives the states the, the powers. And I feel like I'm missing one, but um, I think that's all that's on the test anyways. Finally, McCullough versus Maryland. Remember, this is the one where Maryland did not like the Bank of the United States. So they decided they're going to tax the Bank of the United States out of existence. So that was where that comes from. The bank refuses to pay the taxes. They're like, eh, we're not going to pay those things. And that's where the case comes from. So the, the court, the Supreme Court has answered two questions. First off, can Congress create a bank in the United States? Is it legal? Is it constitutional? All right, that's the first question. Second question deals with the fact that can a state tax a federal institution? All right, so the first question about the bank in the United States, the, sorry, I put a piece of candy in my mouth and I shouldn't have. Um, but the answer to the first question about the bank the Supreme Court says, hey, necessary and proper clause, elastic clause. Congress has the, the right and the power and the ability in the Constitution to coin money, to control commerce, to control trade, and all these sorts of things. Yes, we can assume elastic clause-wise, stretch their powers, that yes, they can create a bank. So the bank is constitutional. Second question was, can a state tax a federal institution? And they use the supremacy clause here to say, no, you can't. You are um, way down the line 
under the supremacy clause, and you cannot tax a federal institution. All right, guys, there's those. If you have questions, uh, you can always hit me up on the remind text up until about 10 o'clock. Um, if you would prefer to interact a different way, your email is an option as well. Or you can hit me up on Twitter, KDaniels, APGov, or if you want to do the Colin Silvan, CHHSGov underscore civics, and I'll be happy to interact with you any way you need to uh, to answer questions as you need. All right, guys, hope all is well and hope this stuff makes sense to you. Let me know if I can help you, and I'll see you in class. Take care. Bye-bye.